0: I think what these findings really emphasise is that school social environments matter for mental health and we know that really matters for student learning. Promoting school connectedness might be a good uh, prevention target for depression
1: and anxiety. The inclusive anti-bullying and harassment policies and the inclusive curriculum probably need to happen first in order to indicate that the school promotes and supports and implements this this culture of you know promoting accepting diversity and inclusion
2: welcome whatever works school connectedness introducing our speakers Monica Eneti and Gemma Lewis
0: I'm uh, Dr Monica Raniti and I'm joining you today from the land of the Boon Wurrung people in Melbourne, Australia. So I'm a research fellow at the Centre for Adolescent Health at the Murdoch Children's Research Institute.
1: My name is Dr Gemma Lewis and I'm a psychiatric epidemiologist at the UCL Division of Psychiatry.
2: What is school connectedness?
0: In terms of school connectedness, I mean, It's a really broad definition, Um, if I could put it into a nutshell, it really reflects the quality of engagement that students have with their school environment, their relationships within the school, so with their peers, with their teachers and also their learning experiences. So it really relates to things like thoughts and feelings, so things like whether you feel supported by your teachers, whether you feel like you belong at school, whether you feel like you um, are motivated to learn or enjoy class. And it can also relate to behaviour, so whether you participate in fun activities at school or how much effort you put into schoolwork. Um, So it has these multiple components, and in the research literature, it also goes by other names like school belonging or sense of school membership. Um, So it can get a little messy in terms of definitions, which has some implications later when I talk about the, the findings of our review.
2: Can school connectedness help prevent anxiety and depression?
0: So we really were thinking about schools, um, as I mentioned before, as these social environments that we really need to capitalise on if we really want to promote good mental health and prevent depression and anxiety in young people. And so within that background, um, that's why we were were keen to look at the role of school connectedness, because there's been some cross-sectional evidence that school connectedness associated with less depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts and behaviours in young people, but there's um, been no synthesis to look at the extent to which school connectedness might predict depression and anxiety later. So that's what we were really interested in. So we um, did a systematic review. We looked at um, prospective studies and intervention studies. And with the intervention studies, we were really interested in those interventions that were really targeting the school social and emotional environment. Um, So thinking about improving relationships within the school or how psychologically safe students feel in the school. So in terms of our findings, um, we found about three and a half thousand articles in our search and that ultimately led to 34 longitudinal studies meeting our inclusion criteria and two intervention studies. So that's what we included in the review. Most of these studies measured depression, not anxiety. We found a few looking at anxiety. Um, but we weren't able to perform a meta-analysis due to some of those issues with with measurement of school connectedness and variation in definition, and also because of the range of um, analyses that were done in the studies, we couldn't compare effects across the studies. So I just say that to highlight that we um, weren't able to determine the strength of the effects, but I'll talk a little bit about what we found now. Um, If we think about all of the relationships that we found and looking at the overall pattern of those results, most of the studies, including the two intervention studies, found a significant protective relationship, the school connectedness on depression and anxiety symptoms later. In our longitudinal studies, we found that effects were evident for um, up to about five years on average, which was quite impressive. And in the two intervention studies, we found effects Um, about one and a half years post-intervention. We also found a few studies that found a non-significant relationship and we think that may be because of those issues with measurement again. I say issues, differences with measurement Um, We also looked at uh, whether improving school connectedness would promote remission in young people who are already experiencing depression and anxiety, but we didn't find evidence to be able to draw any conclusions on um, on that question. Overall, studies were pretty good quality, um, but uh, quite a few didn't control for key confounders like baseline depressive and anxiety symptoms. So just um, flagging that, you know, causal inferences, uh, we need to be careful about making them. Um, And that because we couldn't do a meta-analysis, we um, couldn't look at risk of bias in the studies, um, publication bias, I should say. So we might be overstating some of the protective effects.
1: I think this idea of school connectedness is really, really important. What, What I really like about it is that it's focusing on changing the environment rather than a lot of other interventions we've tried in schools have sort of focused on the young people making changes themselves, so the young people making changes to how they think or how they process the environment, you know, some CBT, some mindfulness. What I really like about this approach by Monica and team is that they're focusing on the wider environment and ways that we could uh, shift or change that without having to rely on the, on the young people understanding their mental health or learning this strategy and that strategy, which has its place. But when you're trying to prevent mental health problems in the general population, teaching adolescents about, you know, cognitive strategies and stuff like that, I think is proved very difficult And the evidence that that kind of approach is effective is actually very limited. So I think, you know, this is really convincing evidence. Presumably what those studies also show is a sort of roadmap for how schools might design and create these interventions. So I suppose if I was working in school, my question would be, okay, this is great. How can we go about actually modifying school connectedness to improve it? And if these intervention studies are out there, I think that's a great starting point for helping schools to actually implement changes just links in with with my with my project which focused on universal interventions so universal interventions are those that target everybody in a population but also a whole school intervention is a type of universal intervention and what that adds is that it brings it involves multiple components of the school so you're involving the young people the teachers maybe even the community, maybe charities, and you're coming at it from multiple levels as well, which I also think is a really, uh, really valuable approach. I think what these
0: findings really emphasise is that school social environments matter for mental health, and we know that really matters for student learning. Uh, Schools that foster school connectedness, especially through supportive relationships between all members of the school community, so not just between peers, but between teachers and peers, between um, students and other members of the school community, might be a really good way or is a really good way to promote mental health. Um, And with more research, promoting school connectedness might be a good uh, prevention target for depression and anxiety.
2: What further research is needed on school connectedness? We
0: need more studies in places other than high-income countries. Most of the studies we found were from the United States, so we do need um, a broader scope of where these studies are conducted. We also need better design studies that look at the benefits um, of school connectedness over a longer period of time, because it might be that the way you connect with your school actually changes as you get older or changes with development um, as different um, periods of time are perhaps more sensitive for the development of mental disorder. And we might also look um, in the future at whether some of these benefits extend to other disorders outside of depression and anxiety. So overall, um, we've got a little bit more research to do, but on reflection, I think um, school connectedness is this really attractive, active ingredient because you're focusing on changing relationships within an education system that governments already make substantial investments in. So it's really a win-win, I think, for the education and uh, health sectors because what we've found in some of our other research and, and that others have done is that if you don't have intersexual collaboration between health and education, really difficult to make some of these sustained policy changes and sustain some of these uh, whole school approaches to intervention. So I think um, school connectedness is quite appealing to stakeholders in both sectors in that way.
2: How can schools support the mental health of LGBTQ plus youth?
1: We wanted to focus on universal interventions that improve the school climate, culture and ethos, specifically for young people who are sexual minorities or trans young people. We classified the interventions that we found into five themes. The first one was gay-straight alliances or similar student clubs such as pride clubs. So these are clubs that exist in a school they're student-led but they also involve lots of other members of the community and they have lots of different roles and they're you know they're, they're very flexible and responsive but the idea is that they'll provide a safe space for sexual minority and trans students they will also involve support from allies which include other students and also teachers they'll also engage in activism within the school and they will uh, work together to promote a more inclusive and accepting environment. The second kind of intervention that we found was inclusive anti-bullying and harassment policies. And these are school-wide, school-wide policies which are designed to provide a positive culture ethos and environment for diverse young people and what we found was that these policies are great and they work but as long as they're explicitly um, inclusive for sexual minority and trans young people we also found evidence for inclusive curriculum so and this was one that the young people we worked with really really liked so these were things such as um teaching resources books there was one really nice example which the young people that who we worked with loved which was um a, a quality study which spoke about a librarian in a school in the states who uh put little stickers on all of the books in the library that told stories about um sexual minorities or trans young people and included sexual minority or trans characters and i think not only does that increase representation and visibility but it also signals you know from the librarian and therefore the school that there's a supportive environment in place within that school um the fourth type of intervention was was sort of one-off workshops so these are universal in that they are aimed at and include the whole school or the whole school can, can attend but it's a one off workshop. So an example might be a sort of media based intervention. So there was a Canadian study which used an intervention called Out in Schools and it assembled a panel, uh, showed showed a film, had a panel discussion, involved students and teachers and, and stuff like that. So, again, sort of fostering understanding, compassion, empathy and education but doing that in a one-off workshop and what emerged from our discussions with, with the young people who worked with us was that stuff is great but it needs to be part of a wider longer term strategy that is consistent and isn't tokenistic so another thing that the young people commented on was for example very often schools will be reactive to pride month and you know they'll put up flags and posters and banners and stuff but as soon as Pride Month is over that will disappear and one of the things that is really important is incorporating that into a wider consistent longer term meaningful strategy that that is always in place basically and the last type of intervention which emerged as really important but I think cuts across the other four was staff training and that really links into the next bit, which was about mechanisms. So the method that we use sort of asked us to think about the mechanisms that might underlie these the effectiveness of these interventions. And we drew these mechanisms from qualitative studies or from the discussion sections of papers and also through our conversations with young people and also with, with teachers and policymakers, and also a school governor. And what we concluded was that these interventions seem to work best when teaching staff and school leaders are properly trained, and they understand the inclusive curriculum, they're trained in it, they know what terminology to use, they know how to implement it. And the same with the anti-bullying and harassment strategies. You know, the teachers have to be aware of them. There was one study which found a really surprising result, which was that Uh, You know, a a higher than expected proportion of schools have these policies, but the teachers don't actually know about them. So if the teachers don't know about them, they can't implement them and they can't work on them. So the staff need to be aware and they need to be trained. There are multiple levels to this, which I think we need to think about. So I think that the inclusive anti-bullying and harassment policies and the inclusive curriculum probably need to happen first in order to indicate that the school promotes and supports and implements this this culture of, you know, promoting, accepting diversity and inclusion. And then the school needs to sort of support the Gay-Straight Alliances and the Pride Clubs, which could perhaps then follow. And yeah, it's really, really important that all of the staff are trained and engaged in this process.
0: What I really liked about the way you conceptualised the project was really thinking about schools as whole school environments. Um, So, you know, in our project, we looked at the social and emotional environment, but you have really extended it to looking at the supporting policies, the the training that's required of school staff um, and teachers to really support a lot of these initiatives in schools and really make sure that they're embedded and sustainable over time. And I think that that's a conceptualization that we don't always see in the intervention literature. And so, um, yeah, I think that that's really, really positive. Um, And the other thing that I, I was really interested to hear was this idea of, you know, potential risk and harms. And, again, I think that's something that we really need to deeply consider when we think about some of these interventions and really thinking about the mechanisms and context in which we're in which we're working to make sure that we're not inadvertently causing harm and I know that there's some bullying intervention literature that um, has suggested that there is harm that can be caused in some context for some students and so I think that's really important to highlight. So Gemma you mentioned that where we need to start is thinking about the curriculum and some of the um, the, the clubs and things like that but before moving on to teacher training and I just wondered you know, if we're thinking about some school environments that perhaps are a bit more risky for um, using some of these approaches, I'm wondering what your thoughts are around sort of pre-service teacher training and um, investing in training and teacher capacity building prior to doing some of these interventions in schools in order to try and foster an environment where these interventions are more likely to be successful. Um, do you have any thoughts on on sort of the, the chicken or the egg scenario
1: there? Fantastic question. And it did come up in one or two studies that teachers wanted this kind of thing to be included in their training. So before they even got to schools, you know, because Although it's true, I think what you said, Monica, that there's been a neglect of sexual minority, but particularly trans students within schools. I think that, you know, inclusivity and diversity has really been pushed up the agenda in in recent years, thankfully. And I think teachers in many countries are aware of that and they would really welcome, um, you know, training on appropriate language and responses and approaches and inclusive curricula and policy before they actually get into schools so i think yeah that's a really really good point and i think you know it was it was raised by the by the young people as well
2: how is school connectedness linked to youth mental health
1: so this is a tricky one
0: because we actually didn't identify any longitudinal studies that examined how school connectedness is linked to later depression and anxiety which is telling in and of itself. I think it um, is a really important area for future research. Um, In the intervention studies I mentioned, so one from the USA and one from India, um, we found that they increased school connectedness and this led to improvements in depressive symptoms. And so the one from the USA found that this was occurring through improvements in self-esteem. And in the uh, study from India, that one found that the improvements to depression were occurring specifically through improved relationships within the school, so the quality of those relationships. So remembering um, with school connectedness being this multifaceted construct, it seemed like the, the relationships aspect was quite powerful in that intervention study. And so I guess these are two um, pieces of evidence that we can draw upon. But because we didn't find a lot of information, we actually explored this uh, in a lot of detail with our youth advisors who were really um Uh, valuable in helping us to kind of think through well what's going on in this relationship and so our youth advisors uh, raised a few mechanisms that might might be worth pursuing in future research so they definitely agreed that relationship quality is a big one so not just thinking about their relationships with their friends um, and not just thinking about quantity but actual quality of those relationships how supportive do you feel how um, much do you feel like you can go and talk to somebody when something's bothering you how much do you feel like that's somebody you can trust? Um, and the, the same with teachers in the school and also other school staff. So that could be, you know, the bus driver. um, It could be a sports coach. It could be a music uh, teacher. It could be um, in some schools they have security guards. They spoke about this idea that it's all individuals in the school, um, people in the canteen, um, feeling like these are people that you can trust and and maybe you have a relationship that you build over time. How motivated you're feeling on a particular day um, might impact that relationship. How lonely you tend to feel. So, um, I've recently become aware of other literature that starts to suggest that um, how lonely you feel subjectively might actually impact how connect, socially connected you feel. Um, so if you um, d- if you desire to be more socially connected and you're not, um, that could increase feelings of loneliness. Whereas if you don't desire to be as connected, then that might um, not impact your feelings of loneliness. So there might be something there around loneliness. Our youth advisors also mentioned your sense of purpose. So Why you go to school and how it links to, um, you know, your wider aims in life, and what I found really interesting were these other two potential mechanisms: so academic pressure, so how stressed you feel by the academic expectations of your school, and also social expectations of behaviour at school. So, for example, you know, having to wear a uniform um, that conforms to a particular gender stereotype. Our youth advisors actually raised. that sometimes higher levels of school connectedness lead to worse feelings of depression and anxiety and these were the mechanisms through which they proposed it happened. So if you're feeling really connected to school it might be that you actually experience that academic pressure more um, more greatly, you really want to please your teachers, you're really connected with students, you don't want to let anybody down, you really feel pride in your school and it's actually that stress and pressure and worry about what other people are thinking that might contribute to higher levels of anxiety. And so, even though we didn't really find um, evidence to support this in the empirical literature, I do think it's something worth exploring further, especially if we're using this information about mechanisms to inform our intervention design and really thinking about, you know, as you were saying, Gemma, potential risks or harm for students, or even just thinking about how to target these interventions most effectively.
1: Our mechanisms really are all about reducing discrimination and stigma in order to improve inclusivity, acceptance and positivity about about sexual minorities and, and trans young people. So to speak more specifically, um, the mechanisms are really about reducing homophobic, biphobic and transphobic bullying and discrimination and also reducing feelings of and safety but also exclusion and i think the exclusion point speaks to the importance of of two things which are visibility and also normalization and i think these are the two sort of major things and which were really supported by by our young people so visibility of role models within the school within the curriculum broader historical figures Um, you know not just remaining in what we would refer to as this cis normative or heteronormative stance it's really about you know talking about diversity and and really making it visible and normal those those two things were were regarded as as really really important and the mechanisms by which feelings of exclusion and marginalisation are are reduced.
2: How else can schools ensure that everyone feels included?
0: We know that young people who are healthy and mentally healthy have better education outcomes, and we know that students who are engaged in learning and complete school um, have better mental health outcomes and health outcomes in the future. So we know that education is this really key Social determinant of health. Um, and I think as a broader prevention strategy, when we're thinking about primary prevention, so prevention of, of disorder before it begins, um, we really need to start looking beyond trying to translate treatment approaches, so CBT, interpersonal therapies, Into potential prevention strategies. It's not to say that treatments are not important and that um, we need to invest in understanding the best treatments in the right context for for the right people, but we need to think more broadly. And so thinking about social determinants like like poverty, like employment, like um, uh, discrimination, all of these social determinants that are intimately related to the school setting, you know, in thinking about partnering with families and parents and ensuring students have access to schooling, have access to breakfast to help with their learning, um, feel like they can come to school and feel safe and included and not discriminated against schools are these settings where all of those social determinants play out and so i think taking that broad perspective is important in society and schools are a key part of society for young people
1: i suppose the the other thing i'd add which you know was sort of surprising to me but actually seems you know seems obvious when you think about it is that the young people i've worked with doing my research have really really loved the idea of a universal intervention and the reason for that is that you know, when young people are in school, they don't want to be singled out. So these universal interventions, which include everybody, and they don't sort of, you know, I really strongly agree with what Monica said about moving away from uh, using treatment approaches for prevention. So I think there's a place for these school-based interventions that, you know, will take sort of young people experiencing symptoms already, you know, to some sort of low-level CBT, there might be a place for that, but also young people are really, really interested in these universal interventions which don't single them out and you know um, can reach and help everybody without without people being singled out. So I think that's and yeah, just just the only thing I I would add basically, and just really emphasising the importance of this multi-level, multi-component, whole-school approach.
2: Visit the Welcome website to find out more about mental health at the Wellcome Trust.